Welcome to another episode of Dying for Midnight, DFM. Be mindful of your surroundings while tuning in. There might be a fellow listener, and they're a lot closer than you think. Never have I ever streamed. Again, DFM family, if you guys and gals are tuning in as soon as this is released here on the East Coast, you know it's just after midnight, and we hope you're enjoying the wee morning hours. You have just under three hours until it's witching time, and probably six until you've made it until dawn. No matter where you're at, thanks for joining us for the first time, or once again. Last week, you may have checked us out as we discussed a killer of a UK gem, Double Date. This week, we're back for another small modern horror circa 2019. Welcome to episode 32, or what we like to call here in the DFM vault, Sex, Lies, and Hairspray. Carrie, what movie are we talking? We summon the darkness. (laughs) So turn down that evil music our parents and grandparents warned you about, but we all can't get enough of. And be on the lookout for any cultists trying to lure you in with their looks and rock and roll knowledge. Okay, the male wolf, he is here already, and he brings good tidings via a 1978 heavily carpeted and detailed van. Where did you buy that from, male wolf? Anyways, he's got a message from Jake the Midnight Traveler about this week's horror snap. Case and carry. I tell you, posers, more than anything are the most lethal things out there in the world as we know it. Hello, my hellish homies in horror. It's about that time just before the days change and things get a little strange. And people like me, Jake, the Midnight Traveler, show up, and everything gets even stranger as I guide you through another piece of possibly putrid celluloid that could make a sane man crazy or a crazy man a tax accountant. Seemingly keeping with our current streak of 21st century horrors, this week's entry is a pointed piece of commentary on modern society with some fire explosions and blood splatter thrown in for good measure. Also throw in my future ex-wife and Alexandria Diodario, and you have We Summon the Darkness. What exactly it is? Well, it takes a while before we all get to find out. Now, let's be stupid and go back to the pandemic. Yes, as of this writing, we can still call it the pandemic, much like we called World War I the Great War, as we were naive enough to think that we wouldn't be stupid enough to start another one. Anywho, during this time, those of us with the slightest shred of decency stayed home and waited for the vaccine and prayed that we all wouldn't succumb to the madness and the isolation. The smart ones watched more stuff than they ever had before and pounced on any new piece of content that wandered its way into their line of vision. During those hellish months, 
This was one of those that I took in while I wasn't busy spraying down my groceries. By then, I was looking for any escapism I could to get me out of the damn house, and even cinematic depictions of mundane activities now were viewed as wild fantasies, such as driving to a concert in another town with two other random people. (laughs) Wow, how the world had indeed changed. But getting away from that now, we can look into this little gem of a film and have some fun like we usually do. The story starts with a trio of girls heading to a concert out of town to see a controversial heavy metal band, and they run into a pair of fellow fans in the parking lot before the show. Right away, there are mentions of the clash between the culture of chaos that surrounds dark music and films and the culture that the religious conservatives who wish to condemn it and everything and everyone they think it represents or stands for in between a few news reports of ritualistic killings that have occurred in the area. So, therein lay the conflict. Right away, you can tell that this is going to be a very talk-heavy film as the girls interact with each other and eventually the rest of the people they meet at the show. The concert itself is... More of an afterthought, as we only really catch a brief glimpse of the band they are there to see, but it's set to an awesome clip of Merciful Fate's Black Funeral. Sweet! Bulk of the film centers on the trio of girls with the two guys who are supposedly heading back to one of the girls' parents' mansion for some fun. Or so they think. This film, to me, is a slow burn disguised as an 80s throwback to the satanic panic movement that has become actually really popular in the last few years. I think that personally it could have used a better script for the second and third acts, but I found the performances and the overall story to be just a little bit better than average. Either that or Alexander Diodario really has that much of an effect on me. My gut tells me that this is a strictly love it or hate it film, but with more emphasis on the latter, at least from what I've read so far online. I honestly liked it more than I disliked it, as I thought the twists, obvious as they may have been, were still kind of enjoyable to take in. Circling back to Diodario, I like the fact that she seems to embrace her career in horror films. I do think that she has other things to offer in other genres, and she has done a little to show that. But if she decides to stick with this, then I know that I will at least still be watching. I'm also deliberately trying to avoid spoilers in case anyone out there has yet to see this. Like I said, there is a twist or two here, and I think that they are worth keeping secret until the screen chooses to reveal them to us. Well, I wouldn't ever consider this to be essential viewing. I do think it's worth keeping the secret to those who haven't seen it yet. Hopefully, you'll dig the semi-nostalgic charm or the shots taken at religious fundamentalism, which Lord knows we all need a lot of. Well, that and more Merciful Fate songs and movies as well. I guess I'll leave you here, my loyal friends and readers. Even in my neck of the woods, the temperatures are slowly dropping and things are stirring up as this cruel summer comes to a close and ushers in a possibly more sinister season. 
you know that we here at Dying for Midnight will be more than happy to be the guide through the shadows on those moonlit nights. That is, if you still choose to continue. We all hope you will. See you next midnight, Jake. Thank you again, as always. He always gives us that overview. Carrie, what are your thoughts, what Jake had to share? So Jake loves Alexandria Daddario, as so do you. (laughs) I've been a fan of hers for a while. You know, she's been in some rom-coms like When We First Met, and yes, even the Percy Jackson movies. I think you guys may have enjoyed this one a tad more than me. I did enjoy the music specifically when she puts on Belinda Carlisle. (laughs) Heaven is a place on earth. Heaven. Every 80s girl knows and loves that song. I just love that she knows she's in trouble and she goes all out. So you're pointing at me. Does that mean I'm allowed to talk now? Yeah, you're allowed to talk. Oh, yeah. See, she's got an edge about her since Jake and I are crushing on Alexandra. Uh, how do you pronounce her last name again? Daddario. Is it? I thought it was Daddario. Or maybe it's Diodario. I think the mystery is about this movie is about her last name <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Jake, I dig your band knowledge as always. You're right. He's always telling me I need to listen to more music. I wish I had the time. And the recap on the era of Satanic Panic is always appreciated. And and by the way, Jake, I won't fight you for uh, Alexandra. Um, you are much bigger than I, and I will gracefully bow out of this one, especially with Carrie sitting right across from me here and giving me the stink eye. But we're going to move right along to uh, talking about the movie poster. She's like burning a hole through my face the way that she's staring at me. (laughs) You'll never escape me. (laughs) Yes, your Mudding Crashers reference never gets old at all. (laughs) Talk about, listen, you're throwing me off. You're throwing me off. Where's that xylophone? Don't get me off track, please. (laughs) Uh. We've got three main posters from this one, and I actually had a hell of a time wading through what was fan-made. And yes, there are fan-made posters for We Summon the Darkness. And what is the one that's on physical media, and what is the actual like official poster, I guess, if you want to call it that. But there's there's three main ones. Now, Carrie, when you and I discovered this film a couple years ago, um and actually we discovered this during the pandemic like jake did we did yes um and and i i use shout out to this website upcominghorrormovies.com because that's where i get a lot of my info on like what's the latest little gems that are coming out and if it wasn't for that site i would probably miss like six to twelve horror movies a year at least yeah so shout out to you guys if somebody happens to know that website i highly recommend it but the one that i'm looking at on the far right carry has got Johnny Knoxville featured in the middle on the upside down cross. And we've got, uh, Daddario or Daddario. I think she pronounced the Daddario, but I'm not sure. Um, with Amy Forsyth on either side of Johnny, that one's cool. That's got like a, the hellish Satan reference going on there. Um, it's a little quizzical the way that they picture Johnny Knoxville here with, yeah, the clerical collar on because at he's, no point he's not a Roman or no. excuse me. He's not a Catholic priest in this. He's at all. a he's preacher. A tele, he's a televangelist. Yeah. Um, but 
the one in the middle, I am not a fan of. It's just it's it's also got one of our guys, uh, one of our. I don't know how to say this without spoiling it, but spoiler alert, guys, because Jake did a good job. If you listen to Jake, maybe we need to start switching up how we do Jake, where he talks about the spoiler free overview and we switch to full spoilers after him. Maybe. So either way, but pause it now if you haven't watched this. Um, Full spoilers. You guys know by now we do spoilers on our podcast. Um, And one of our protagonists, the guy, is on this poster. This doesn't look high quality to me this middle one at all it just seems kind of generic now the one on the left is a newer one that i have not seen and that actually is the one that's got the blue sky and the trees it's kind of weird because um it almost looks like a fantasy poster with that font it's kind of odd it is Um, i like it but it really minimizes all of our characters they're almost become an afterthought in this poster so I'm going to say that my favorite one is the original one that we became familiar with, the one on the far right. And these are just, it's so funny to me how marketing can work sometimes because they feature maybe the three more recognizable names. Um, but at least that poster doesn't give anything away. No. I can't say I'm like going to sit here and be like, oh, look how amazing. Any, I'm not, I don't think anything is amazing about any of these posters. But um, that, that's my thought. So the, the, the original one that came out, whenever the movie first came out as my favorite. What about you? Um, yeah, I feel like I'm the same. Although I'm not really thrilled with that one either. I'm just, yeah, I'm not thrilled with any of them, to it, tell you the it, truth. It doesn't make me want to watch it. It doesn't, no. No, the trailer is the tra- what pulled me in. I was just going to say, one. yeah, that's what pulled me in. The first one, maybe, but I don't know why they use like that fantasy looking font. It almost looks like the, you know, the, the movie, the dark crystal. Yes, That's the same type that, of font. It is. It's weird that they would use that for like a satanic panic horror movie. I know. It's kind of like, well, what, what is this? I guess it's really a throwback about? to the eighties. I guess, I guess you could it could call be. that one. It's a little too fantastical yeah. for me. But anyways, um, so there's like a couple of different taglines to this. The original one is that just says, let us pray, but pray as in predator and pray, not P-R-A-Y. So a little bit of play on words there. And then the one in the middle, um, it uses the P-R-A-Y, be careful what you pray for. Um, I'm okay. Neither one of those blow me away. No. I'm going to ask you, we didn't talk about this, but what is like an alternate tagline you can come up with? <laughs> like right off the top of your head. Oh, let me, th- let me think of this. Yeah, I'm going to think of one too here. Um, I would give it away. Duh, duh. Well, we're spoilers right now anyways. Um, let's play. <laughs> it's not Chucky. <laughs> Well, I'm no. pretty sure that that's the child's one of child's play taglines. <laughs> Chucky is not in this movie. I could be wrong, but that sounds like a child's play tagline. Let's play. Okay. How about this one? Okay. Be careful what you drink. Be careful what you drink. Okay. Um. How here's an alternate tagline: sex, drugs, rock and roll, plus murder. Equals a good time. Equals a good time. (laughs) 
If you love sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you'll have one hell of a time. Um, moving right along, I think we we kind of clunkered that landing yeah. on the alternate taglines, yeah. which is why next time we'll go back to planning the alternate taglines. <laughs> Physical media and streaming for We Summon the Darkness. Um, it's If you are really into streaming, and, and I hear you, this is, this is kind of how we first did it, um, you can buy this. For nine ninety nine to stream, just spend another five bucks to own it. it. It would be worth it. This is one of those things where there's not going to be a ton of copies out there for this one, so you could probably go on eBay and find we some of the darkness for somebody might sell it for five to ten bucks somewhere. Buy if you're gonna buy the DVD at thirteen ninety nine, get the Blu Ray for another dollar, please fourteen ninety nine for the Blu Ray for this. Um, would I pay these prices for this movie? No, I wouldn't want to. If I found out somebody was selling on eBay for six ninety nine, I probably want to pull the trigger. I was going to say this is probably about a seven dollar movie. For Pun me. intended. Pull the trigger. There's a lot of trigger pulling in this oh, yes. movie. Even triggers that aren't on guns, I, but I, triggers I, that are on boat motors too. <laughs> and trauma. What? Yes. Oh, tra- trauma triggers. I see what you did yes. there. I see you're getting away from weaponry and moving to the mind. Yeah. So let me talk about the um, director here. Um, and of course, I don't like have it right in front of me like a dingus. But um, the director for We Summon the Darkness, Mark Myers, that's his name. Um. He has not done a ton, but he's got um, the one that he's really known for is uh, that movie, My Friend Dahmer. Do you remember that one where it shows like a teenage Dahmer? Yeah. Um, he's got other a couple other movies that are not horror related. How He Fell in Love, Harvest, Approaching Union Square, Witnessing. I've heard of that human capital. You have? I have heard of it. Okay. I haven't watched it, but I've heard of it. Okay. Um, all my life is another one. Now I do want to talk about the writer, Alan Treza. Um, there was a movie called burying the X in 2000. Didn't come out till 2014. Um, not too far around the time, far off from around the time that Anton Yelkin met his untimely death. Um, this is another one with Alexandra. Diodario. What? You look like you're going to say something. Uh, I I think it's Dario. Okay. Well, da Dario? Anyways, Ashley Green is in this one, um directed by Joe Dante. So I thought that was interesting. And I read people said uh, it's not Dante's best work. Um, but either way, that one, uh, IMDB tells us a guy regrets over moving in with his girlfriend. Um, no, a guy's regrets over moving in with his girlfriend are compounded. And when she dies and comes back as a zombie. Um, so that sounds interesting. And I it think, the, I think it's got, um, a decent cast just with those two leads alone. But speaking of cast, we've got, I want to not even just mention Alexandra, but also Maddie Hassan as Val. Um, yes, Amy Forsyth, we've mentioned her already, is Beverly. But we've got three guys here outside of Johnny Knoxville. We've got Kean Johnson as Mark. We've got Logan Miller as Kovacs. And we've got Austin Swift as Ivan. And yes, uh, 
that Swift name is the name of the sibling of Taylor Swift. So, yeah. Um, he actually co-produced this movie. Interesting. So Johnny Knoxville, we all know who that is. He's not had a big career in horror. He does have quite the mix of characters. Um, to add to his jackass MTV and movie legacy. Um, Carrie, do you recall the movie The Ringer where he faked disabilities to bring the yes. Special Olympics? I actually that- saw that in the theaters. And it was, it's the, it is the most, I actually did laugh at it, but I was like, when I went back and looked at that movie, I'm like, this would never get made today. There's a, there's just a lot of issues with it. Oh, of course there is. Yeah. There's, it's problematic. Uh, Logan Miller, um, he, who plays Kovacs, he was in that movie Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. There's those, um, escape room horror movies. He's in two of those. Mm. Now, Amy Forsyth. If you horror fans have seen her before, uh, you are correct. She was in Hellfest, that one where they go to like the amusement park. And then she was in a Christmas horror story, which features Krampus. Um, those were both prior to We Some of the Darkness. Kean Johnson, there's not a lot to say about him film-wise. He's been in a ton of TV movies and TV shows. Um, Val, she was in um, a horror movie called Malignant. I know a lot of people have watched that one. Um, upcoming thriller with her called Bone Lake where multiple couples rent the same place accidentally at the same time and things get a little sex crazy and crazy in that movie apparently and then yeah we all know uh, Alexandra you mentioned a little bit of her career earlier Carrie everybody knows her from that the first thing you think of is especially if you're a guy the true detective scene with Woody Harrelson where she's just butt ass naked and every hetero male is very jealous of Woody Harrelson in that movie but um White Lotus. That's yeah. I was just did you mention say, White Lotus? Earlier? I did not. Yeah, I was waiting to mention that she was excellent in that the first season. Yeah, she really was. The way that she played that role, which was a very inward role, if you think about it. Yeah, but for, I would be remiss if I didn't say um, rest in peace, Aunt Yelkin. But also, we want to mention Allison uh, Mickety, who played Susan. Uh, the mom, Tanner Beard, as the sheriff who comes and investigates things at the house later on in the movie. And then we've got some female reporters, religious freaks that are kind of in the background. The cashier at the 7-Eleven, played by Harry Nelkin. Um, moving right along, Carrie, to uh, favorite character. So my favorite is Amy Forsyth, who plays Beverly. She's the smartest of them all. She outsmarts all of them. Mm-hmm. She's a survivor. She knows how to survive, and she's kind of like a chameleon. I like that pick. Yeah, it's, you know, we watched this. This is only the second time that we watched it. We hadn't revisited it in a few years. And this, the one thing I'll say about this movie, and you all hear my rating a little bit later, this is not one that's going to get rewatched a ton. Because once you've seen it the first time, Unless you're showing it and introducing it to somebody, say, hey, here's like a little gem that you haven't watched yet that's, you know, pretty straightforward, but simple and fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just you pick up on all the obvious notes the second go around in this movie. You know how it's going to go down, so I think you can pay attention more. The dialogue even hits differently the second time you watch it. Because you're like, oh, now I know why they're saying that in the car. Because that's all. They're getting their act prepped and down. 
they're saying, oh, you know, liquid courage, they're getting the liquid courage to go through with the act, not liquid courage to go to the concert. Yeah, they're they're um, listening to the music, not because they love it, because they're studying it. Right. Uh, Alexandra Diodario or Daddario, she um, she wants to listen to the work that she's done on the radio and on the TV station. Yeah. She wants to hear the reports about the killings. Yes. So anyways, mine, I, I'm actually going to go with Taylor Swift's brother, Austin Swift, uh, Ivan. You know, he's the larger guy that gets killed first. He stabbed in the clavicle region and bleeds out pretty quickly. Not too many clavicle kills out there in horror movies. This is kind of like a reverse of the sexes. Like normally you see women getting kidnapped and... If this was made, this had shades of Lost Boys in it a little bit, yeah, just a little bit. Because if this what did come out in the year that it portrays, Which let's is say 1988, 1988, it would have been the other way around. Yeah, it would have been like the girls going to have fun at the concert yeah. and the boys who are not what they seem. But this is the, the 21st century, so we get the reverse. So I will say though, I think the subverting expectations thing is kind of played out at this point. So I actually think now if somebody wanted to make something similar, you would probably have to play it straight or both groups are suspicious about each other, but then there's another thing going on that it ends up being. And it's an What if they're them. both trying to kill each other? That would be fun. That Now that would have probably bumped this movie up a notch, but I'm going to tell you something. This movie has kind of grown on me, even though it became predictable in the second viewing. I was surprised with how much I thought of this after watching it a second time. And I think it's because it's simple. But anyways, Carrie, what about favorite death and effects? So my favorite death is the stepmom. <laughs> it, it's it, the horror of her face. The coke snorting stepmom. Yeah. the She's completely clueless to what is actually going on and happening. And she's taken off guard. Um, it's very clear. This was not a planned kill. Um, and from there on, things get worse, much worse. Well, I, I thought it was funny how she's completely like, did Johnny Knoxville's character have this whole thing planned? I think he even said that at the end. Yes. Where, Why do you think I had everything set up at the house? house. Like, this so was, I think he's like, like, I knew you would bungle it. Yeah. He's like, well, I even think one further, he's been planning to kill off his own family use them as martyrs and i'm going to assume his character i mean obviously is not as righteous he's i mean he's a cult nut and he probably has a woman or two a woman or two on the side too well he, the, he creates the image of righteousness right. but he himself is actually well, a con man a murderer um an adulterer probably everything that he's talking out against he's probably done yeah well, I mean, maybe you, except for the drugs. You look at it, and he sees the stepmom dead. He's like, "Good riddance." Exactly. Like she did me a favor. Yes. Yep. You know, he wouldn't have to go through the divorce and pay all kinds of money. So she actually saved money and stuff. And well, he's a user. He's a yeah. psychotic user, basically. Yeah. Um. And you know, calling your daughter reckless. Yeah. And that <laughs> because she fell off her bike, she's reckless. Yeah, like definitely like obsessive over tiny detail and an ultra manipulator to get his own ends. Um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go with one of our girls, Maddie Hassan, who plays Val, 
who is the uh, pyromaniac being burned alive. And you actually pointed this out to me, and I didn't think about it until you said it. You know, she's playing, playing with fire, literally and figuratively, with firecrackers. And then she used, as you pointed out to me, remember, she caught on fire. Yeah, but why did she? Because she used a shit ton of hairspray. So I thought that using that much hairspray, you know, it's her undoing, I guess. So that that was a neat little quirk from beginning to end that, that led to her death. So yeah, I... I just, you know, she's spraying her hair that like, okay, great. She's spraying her hair. That's, oh, the, the whole hairspray is a whole 80s big yeah, hair thing. It is. But that didn't dawn on me when I was like, oh, yeah, that's why she caught on fire. And can I just say, going back to this, that you talking about them playing an act, the whole scene where the stepmom comes in and she's like, why are you dressed like that? Like, what is going on? What were you doing? Mm. You know, tells you right away that this is not how the girls are. And then when you go back and you hear them talking about all these bands and talking about all these concerts and stuff like that, it's clear they've been researching. Yeah. Researching. So what are you rating this movie? And I, and I want to know why you're rating it. I'm writing a three and a half. Okay, so that so this is for you. This is along the same quality as like Double Date, just in yeah. terms of the yeah. type of movie it is. It's a smaller budget yeah. movie, not really a lot of well known names. I think there's two in this one. There's yeah. really nobody in Double Date that no. we know. I just I wish the climax of the movie would have gone. Not zanier. Yeah, what are the flaws for you in this movie? Because th- that's a very good score, but it's not. It it gets. Is it just too predictable? Do it's you think? too predictable. Yeah. The climax. Um, you have them trying to get out of the house. They definitely don't try to get cute at all no. with this movie. They don't try to do switch like Scream tries to really throw you off. Right. And there's um. There's not a lot of other than the fact that maybe the first time you see this. I could see how somebody would get like, whoa, wait a second. It's not the guys. It's the girls. Yeah. If you're watching this like late at night and you're kind of out of it, you're like, whoa, okay. Like, but you're not going to, you're not going to, um, again, not high rewatch value. No. And it's like, I think, um, like this would be a good double feature with like, uh, American Satan. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, it's for me. Anything other than being predictable. Predictable. Um, too straight. Too Just straight. Played it too straight. Too straight. Okay. I wish there would have been a little bit more twists and turns. More twist. Yeah. Like, and I know it there is try a to double be, twist. Yeah, it didn't try to be witty at all. No, I think the dialogue, like Jake said, the dialogue in the the, the second perf- and third the, act. The, yeah, it, it did get a little. Yeah. Yeah. It, it actually, like, I think he's right. I well, it's subjective, but I tend to agree with both of you that the beginning of the movie starts off with like a lot of energy. Yeah. And then it kind of gets um, one, the beginning of the second act after they drug the boys from that point on, when they wake up and after the first kill, after Taylor Swift brother gets it, it does start to slow down and it's like very, um, I think the confinement for me of the movie kills it. Really? Cause you're usually big on confinement. I know. Yeah. Like I guess they could have they could have done more instead of just going all oh, like the pantry. Yeah. Like maybe they could have 
held up in the girl's room instead or and the, found found a bunch of garage or the garage or something or, you know, with a big mansion like that, maybe they would have had like a pool area that yeah. could have come into play. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they're just, and maybe it was a budget thing. It could have been. Yeah. Like the, the house, the house didn't play a big enough part in the setting. Like if you think of the movie, the house on sorority row, yes. you were at every little nook and cranny in that house and it yes. worked really well. Many times over. Yeah. So maybe they could have used the setting a little bit better. I feel like, like the, there should have been a secret passage. And Jake made a point too. They didn't spend very much time at, this is all about rock being evil. They didn't spend hardly time at all. Like maybe if this movie would have been an extra 10 or 15 minutes, they could have shown them maybe even going to a couple of concerts together. Yeah. Like in the, like, oh, they, they meet them. They agree to go with them. They build their trust. Yeah. Okay. One of them is starting to get weirded out by one of the girls and stuff. And they're saying, oh, you're crazy. That would maybe would have helped things along. Yeah. Um, but anyways, here's the thing though. Sometimes I just get it in my head that this is simple. I enjoyed it. There's no huge flaws and sometimes simple just works for me. And I know you and Jake are going to say, what? I'm giving this a four out of five flamethrowers, which brings the, she's shaking her head at me. She's like, you're going to rate this the same as scream. If let me, let me just say this. If Alexandra Daddario was not in this, would you rate it that high? She brings the crazy pretty well. I I I probably would be in agreement with you. And I'm going to say this too, just to not sound like a pig, because her performance is really good. And I mean, she plays the crazy, she pl- plays as, psychotic very as well. Jake said, if she decides to do more horror movies, I'm not going to be disappointed at all. I think she could do a lot more in horror um dude she could play a werewolf actually come to think of it she would like be perfect like in a howling movie or something like that but anyways no um i would feel the same way i would probably knock it down if johnny knoxville wasn't in it because there is um that nuance there's a quality that they both bring and the idea of like there is a draw to this movie like whoa Johnny Knoxville from Jackass as a televangelist sign me up I want to see what this is all about um and he does a good job he does the he small does role that he is yeah but I mean he's he's very se- obviously central to the plot he's the the putting this whole plan together yeah. the string of killings across the country he's a he's, mastermind he's, he is a mastermind yeah but um no I mean it's four out of five for me I think this is a great movie sometimes simple work just works for me really well um i know earlier i said it's not going to get a lot of rewatch it won't but this is just works for me a little bit better than double date and i rated that a three and a half and i just like this one that much more so it it doesn't offend there's no huge flaws i like that it's a period piece i like that it's set in the 80s so the nostalgia factor is high for me on this one I think they did the late 80s specifically really well with the music. It wasn't one of those horror movies that said, hey, look at all the neon colors. It's the 80s. I think they just played it straight and it worked for me. So four. So that brings the overall DFM rating, surprisingly maybe for some of you, of We Summon the Darkness, the 3.75 out of 5 flamethrowers. Let's talk a little bit, Carrie. 
about what's up next. Episode 33, Daybreakers. Yep. And when is that? Well, that's September 29th. The next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Friday the, next the 29th. Yeah. Duh. What do we got going on after September, Carrie? So we have what's called October Halloween 25-8-366 month. Yep. And on October 6th, Friday the 13th, the original, and that is an actual Friday. Yeah, it's coming out. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. It is a Friday, but it's coming out the 6th. Yes. Now on Friday the 13th, October 13th, we've got our fully extended episode with, with Jake, Jake, which yeah. I know you're both thrilled that we're jamming three movies into one <laughs> they both have given me the side eye the bombastic side eye as ghostly puppers would say <laughs> stop <laughs> she hates that i, I do, do too it. i just said it to get a rise out of you but yeah we're talking parts two 3d and final chapter on friday the 13th and uh what are the what are the next two after that to close out uh, october uh, october 20th episode 36 john carpenter's prince of darkness i don't hear too many people that say that's my favorite john carpenter movie it but it's I've one heard that we highly rewatch. yeah we do watch it a lot it's funny enough i actually think we've started rewatching prince of darkness and christine more than the more than halloween actually come to think of it i just felt like i'm halloweened out well I'm you Michael know my Myers my out. favorite my favorite favorite carpenter movie yeah the thing man yeah <laughs> no to be to to be clear, the movie's not called The Thing, Man. The Thing. The Thing, Man. And I am so excited that there's rumors out that they're going to make a sequel. Thing sequel. I am so excited. You know what? Until I see, like, here, hey, like, until, like, Bloody Disgusting or um, Fangoria come out and say they're in pre-production, I, like, I got to get a right source. Like, I know Carpenter himself said that they're thinking about it. Yeah. But... He's gone back and forth. He loves playing his video games. He loves doing the synth with his son. So we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed please, on the thing, too. If you ever listen to this, please do it. <laughs> yes, Mr. Carpenter, sir. Will you please see the Steve Zahn voice is coming out again? <laughs> Would you please do that new movie called The Thing 2 for us? I've been waiting for it for a very long time. Um, I don't know why the Steve Zahn voice has come out lately. It's kind of odd that that's emerged. I'm from Erie, PA. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you grew up not far from Erie, PA. Uh, That's right. Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Return (laughs) of the Living Dead to close out October. And I know Jake is going to help us lead the way with probably his favorite zombie flick. To kick off November and December, we're going to start calling that one Hungry for the Holidays here at DFM. Um, We've got... I'm really excited to talk about this one, Grindhouse, because we haven't watched we that have, in a really long time. We have a lot of love for this. Yeah. Well, we we movie. love Tarantino, and we do love Rodriguez. Eleven ten. My birthday request <laughs> for that weekend is Joe Spinell and Carolyn Monroe in Troma's The Last Horror Film, um, also called Fanatic. And Thanksgiving week. Black Friday, we've got the original 1978, Dawn, Dawn of, of the, the dead. dead. When there's no more room in hell, the dead, dead will walk the earth. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Sorry, Carrie. That's not the correct answer. <laughs> you better slow down on that wine. I didn't have much to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. 
<laughs> Listen. It doesn't take much anymore. Let's face it. I should have known better than to set you up with one of the movie quotes that you obviously don't remember. <laughs> so don't spit that wine out. Hey, then, okay, in December, we're starting it off with the Gremlins. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I think we might have to have zombie toots and ghostly puppers on at least they, for five minutes. They love episode. that movie. Hey, 12-8, Black Christmas. <laughs> it's me, Billy. <laughs> Billy. Hey, Billy. Want to go on a double date? <laughs> Do you summon the darkness, Billy? <laughs> Don't play with Billy. Billy, 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 don't I got you your lose number. that number. It's, I got you. Now you're butchering Phil Collins. I won't have that. <laughs> but um, it's me, Billy. It's closer to the correct choice. Twelve fifteen. Okay, inching closer to Christmas. We've got Ray Weiss in Dead End, and then to end our season one. Episode 45, we've got a modern Hammer film, The Lodge. Lodge. Yes, that's a bit of a shut-in with a dating thing on it. You haven't watched it yet. No. You need to, and we're going to, and we're going to talk Obviously. about it. <laughs> Guys. No, so- I'm going to give a review on a movie I haven't seen. Hey, listen, crazier things have happened, just not here on Dying for Midnight. <laughs> Segment two, horror, etc. We are, given that we're just talked, we're just talked. We're just talking about the satanic panic. Um, listen, we're, we love the satanic panic movies. We love Obviously. the Omen. The House more, of the Devil. The House of the Devil, yes. And apparently I love We Summon the Darkness. Uh, we're going to talk about, I've got two articles I'm going to read from the dawn of the satanic panic era, 1978, where I grew up. In Newcastle, Pennsylvania, there was a gay affair slash ritualistic murder and a cult involved. Some spooky stuff, spooky real life stuff. Then, Carrie, what else are we going to do in horror, etc.? We're going to read some uh, Halloween spooky poems. Yeah, it's never too early for Halloween. Love you guys. See you for segment two. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. The one hope. The only hope. The Exorcist. Rated R. The movie you've been waiting for without the wait. A haunted mansion at Long Branch is a living, breathing nightmare of more than 30 incredible rooms, each with its own very special surprise. Wander through its myriad of secret passageways and winding labyrinths. Discover the graveyard of the living dead and its unimagined terror. There's Renfield and his spiders, the Prince of Darkness, Count Dracula, and many more. At the haunted mansion at Long Branch, it's waiting for you. Sometimes coming home can be unsettling. But not with a new Stanley Lightmaker garage door opener. One button opens your garage, but the other button turns these back into these because it turns on lights from the safety of your car with a Stanley Lightmaker. It's nice to be home. Get a transmitter free with purchase plus a chance to win an Oldsmobile in Stanley sweepstakes. Okay, guys, we are back 
for segment two, horror, etc., where we're going to follow up our comfy horror movie review of We Summon the Darkness with a couple articles from 1978 regarding a satanic serial killer that you probably haven't heard of. These murders happen in my old hometown of Newcastle, Pennsylvania that year, 78. The first one article I'm going to read regarding this murder is from a Siren Web exclusive that's titled The Local Satanic Serial Killer You Don't Know, dot, 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 yet. Siren Web exclusive. I've never heard of Siren Web. Google the name, dear listener, Frank Costell. 1978, he was a bit of a problem for Newcastle, Pennsylvania. You look at this guy, he looks like Rasputin. Okay, and the picture from way back in. Yen, then. Long day, folks. This article is by Luke Alloy. And it starts off. Rose Butera knew something was wrong when she saw that the back door was open at her friend Kathy Cadence's house in Newcastle. As Kathy had a habit of keeping all of the doors shut. Inside the house, Butera found the mutilated bodies of 23-year-old Kathy and her 4-year-old daughter, Dawn, face down in pools of blood. Each had been stabbed 17 times. It was July 11, 1978, and for almost a year and a half, police were unable to determine any suspects. Eventually, an anonymous phone call led police to convicted rapist Michael Atkinson. Atkinson told police that his friend Frank Costell was responsible for the murders. Frank Costell was a lonely man known by Newcastle locals for his shoulder-length hippie hair and his constant prowls for male lovers. Newcastle librarians stated that Costell enjoyed reading books of peculiar subject matter, the occult. Despite this, his Highland Avenue apartment seemed normal from the outside. When the police went inside his apartment to search for evidence, what they found was shocking. Inside, a makeshift altar stood adorned with black candles and inverted crucifixes, while black curtains covered the walls. Ceremonial robes, as well as books on witchcraft, Satanism, and black magic were found throughout the apartment. At his trial, Costell denied the murders of Kathy and Don Cadence, saying that his companions Michael Atkinson and Lou Cadence were the ones responsible. Because of Costell's statement, Lou Cadence was arrested as a possible suspect. Kathy's former husband, Lawrence Lou, Cadence told police that he had left for his warehouse factory before the murders had occurred. Cadence, under oath, denied knowing Costell. All three men, Costell, Atkinson, and Lou Cadence, denied involvement with the murders and implicated each other. However, during the trial, Elaine Callahan took the stand. Callahan, who allegedly visited Costell's apartment four times a week to, quote, party, said that Costell was serious about his devil-worshipping activities. Costell was a high priest of Satan and supposedly led a cult of young people, tempting them to join with parties, beer, and drugs. She knew of black masses animal sacrifices, and weddings that Costell was called performed in his apartment. True story, Carrie. Other witnesses for the trial were difficult to find. 
Kostel told his followers that he had the power to, quote, take them out of their bodies. So many of his disciples were fearful to tell the police anything about Kostel and the murders. Nevertheless, another testifier was soon found. Need a sip of coffee, folks. Jane Garcia, a social worker, said that she saw Atkinson, Costell, and Lou Cadence all in Costell's apartment. Cadence apparently shared Costell's interest in the occult, as police found books on witchcraft initialed L.K., Lawrence Cadence, in both Cadence's apartment and Costell's apartment. Garcia stated that Lou Cadence and Frank Costell were allegedly in a homosexual relationship, and that Lou's wife Kathy was, quote, interfering in their relationship. Costell also denied that the occult had anything to do with the murders. However, an expert on Satanism later testified at the trial. The expert stated that the number of times Kathy and Don Cadence were stabbed, 17, was the number of stab wounds required for sta- excuse me, satanic human sacrifices. The expert also stated that Erica Callahan's testimony of Costell's attendance in satanic rituals further linked Costell with the ritualistic murders of Kathy and Don Cadence. Other witnesses took the stand, saying that Atkinson helped Costell plan the murders. All the while, the murders had become a media sensation. The satanic background of Costell and Atkinson were highlighted on television networks throughout the Pittsburgh area. As a result, it was difficult to find a jury that would objectively hear evidence without having already seen inflammatory images and reports of the murder. After the trial had gone on for several years, Atkinson ended up being convicted of first-degree murder of Kathy Cadence and third-degree murder excuse me, of Don Cadence and was sentenced to life in prison. Costa was convicted of two-count first-degree murder and was sentenced to life imprisonment. Lou Cadence was found not guilty by the jury, believing his testimony that he was at work when the murders occurred. Members of Kathy Cadence's family were not convinced of Lou Cadence's murders. The activities of Costa's satanic cult are unknown. After his acquittal, Lou Cadence moved away from the Newcastle area. His whereabouts are unknown. Okay. What did you think of that, Carrie? That's creepy. When did you say this happened? 1978. Ooh. Wait, you said Highland Avenue? I can't recall off the top of my head. But um, there's a great book out there, folks. And and here's another article from the Newcastle News. Um, Dale Perlman has a book that he wrote called The Newcastle's Cadence Murders. And um, probably should check that out sometime. So here's an article um, by Dan Irwin of the Newcastle News. It was a shocking crime in a simpler time. On July 11th, 1978, yeah, guys, you know the story now that I read the first one. Um, Kathy Cadence, and I'm going to paraphrase, and her four-year-old daughter were stabbed 17 times each. Here's something the other article didn't mention. Infant son was left unharmed. (coughs) Those three men we talked about. Mike Atkinson, Frank Costell, and Larry Lou Cadence were charged and tried in the brutal slayings. Um, again, as the previous article mentioned, the case drew widespread attention locally and regionally. Um, and of course, this one focuses on Costell. It says, getting much of the spotlight, I'm quoting this, because of his alleged homosexuality and practice of Satanism. Now, local author Dale Perlman, maybe we should reach out to Dale. Yeah. Has revisited the crime in his book, Newcastle's Cadence Murders, released um, a while ago at the time of this article, History Press. Perlman combed through reams of court and police records. This guy did his work. Hard, Inter- hard physical yeah. work. 
interviewed the investigating detectives who are now deceased, and even visited Costal Atkinson in prison en route to compiling the tome. 21 years later, as of the date of this article, the book is released. And Perlman, the author, is quoted, I wrote the book probably 1988, maybe 89. I sent it out to one publisher and they didn't love it. And I wasn't sure I loved it. So I put it, set it aside and put it in a box, he stated. Um, what followed was a series of books focusing on regional history, including one on the Scottish Rite Cathedral. Perlman ultimately pitched a story of the Cadence murders to his publisher, History Press, as well. And after some updating and editing, the book's, book was released. Um, in Perlman's book, the article continues, details the day of the murders, the investigation by police, and the trials of all three of the accused. Uh, his accounts of each man's day in court, quote, came right from the transcripts, word from word. Perlman states, I didn't make up a word of that. As part of his research, Perlman visited both convicted killers in jail. Um, Perlman says, I visited Kossel three times at now Pittsburgh's defunct Western Penitentiary. Um going to have to ask Jake about the Western Penitentiary. He's probably a little bit more familiar yeah. with the history there. Uh, Perlman continues in this article. He was quoted as saying, he was always very nice. He asked me to send him information. I corresponded with him. So Costal was charming, funny, and talking to him. You would say it's impossible that this guy could have done what they say, but he had two types of appearances. With authority, he was very meek, very mild. With those of lesser mental capacity and youth, he was different. Today... He would have been put in jail for having sex with them. Perlman's sole visit with Atkinson went very differently. I didn't spend a lot of time with Atkinson, said Perlman, who was accompanied to the state prison in Huntington by Newcastle police detectives who led the murder investigation of Frank Gagliardo and Charles Abraham. Noting that the warden labeled Atkinson's Ed as his worst prisoner, Perlman got neither information nor intimidation from the convict. It was like a lump when I met him, Perlman said. I was told I could bring a recorder or a camera, and I chose the recorder. I was sorry I chose the recorder because he denied everything. By the time I saw him, I wasn't afraid of him because physically he was not the same 250-pound hulk that he was 10 years earlier. He was a shadow of himself. Atkinson was not an interesting guy. He was easy to figure out. He was a thug. He was slow. He was a failure. I don't think Costa was a mental genius either, but he had an interesting persona. Um, the article goes on to talk about the trials. Um, saying that in summary from this article, Perlman noted there wasn't really a lot of good witnesses. Um, the author, why I brought up this article, particularly Carrie from the Newcastle news, uh, the article states the author Perlman alludes in his book to a similar 1975 slain when four year old Melanie Gargates and her 37 year old babysitter Beverly Ann Withers were killed and the child's in the Shannock township home. That crime has never been solved. Mm. I think they're connected to this, but I can't really prove it. Perlman moves on, goes on. The state police told a relative of the Gargas family that they thought Atkinson was involved. And I think he was too, and maybe Costal too. At the end of the book, Perlman leaves his readers to ponder the question, was justice served in the case of the Cadence murders? That's what the reader has to decide at the end. I asked that question. He said, it's the same with the Gargas Withers killing. I wish I'd come up with a solution to this, but I can't. I don't think anyone can. I wonder if they, I know that there's a thing out there where they take all these cold cases per se, mm -hmm. and they go back and see if there's any collectible DNA that they could test now. Yeah, I, I'd have to go back. I This is admittedly just a kind of a light dive. Yeah. In, into it, this, but um, 
Yeah. I, it was it was just a, a thought. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm interested to see if there would be any. Sometimes the families are contacted and just say, please, I don't want to go back to talking about and this. Revisit, they don't want to yeah. revisit this at all. So, Carrie, moving on from a very serious subject, yeah, very I'm, upsetting subject, to some I mean, spooky poems. Just let's take a moment, though, first, and just to any of those families that are still grieving, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't take this lightly. It's just given the subject matter of the movie, I thought it would be good to, you know, there was a reason there was a satanic panic. Um, it didn't just come out of anywhere. There was, there were rumors and legends and stories and, um, well, spooky even, campfire tales uh, of things that happened. I mean, I can't, this is from the same area where Bloody Mary came yeah. from. Okay. So yeah. I lived in an area where there was a lot of strange stuff that happened. Well, and really, I mean, I was almost abducted. Yeah. You know I mean, what I mean? And that's so, what I was going to bring up. I remember playing out. In my neighborhood, and I would play with boys and girls in my neighborhood, and we would pretty much roam the neighborhood. But I do recall being cautious about watching certain cars come up and down. I mean, there was one time where me and my next-door neighbor, we used to have a notebook and write down how many times we saw the same car. Ooh, that is really creepy. You're creeping me out. Remember at the start of COVID? Yes. Speaking of... um creepy things remember we would the kids would go out ghostly puppers and zombie toots were only kindergartners back then in 2020 but um we would go out uh this was at the start of covid this was like the first week or two that we were shut in the whole world was but you guys know but um we were sitting there with our lawn chairs and they were doing the um the sidewalk chalk on the driveway yes. and we were all going a little crazy. Yes. We even did it on the brick and it's some of it's, it's still, still written there. on the brick. Yeah. Like you shall not pass yeah. and my sweet brick. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just went nuts. I mean, we had, we had to figure out fun things to do without being able Inventive. to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. What a strange, strange world. But, um, but remember we saw some vehicles we had never seen before and there was an uptick in abductions, and we saw those guys walking. And, and by the way, I haven't seen them since. Oh, I know. Talk about strange. I know. Um, but and, any, anyway, so so you and your friend saw a certain vehicle that the same color and make. And was I it a van? Van oh, specifically. God. Oh God. Yeah, we and not to stereotype no, people to drive vans. No, but. It, 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 we was it like was it like a certain period of time and then just completely stopped? Yeah. So where were you? Like, were you at both of your places that you saw this van? Yeah. Okay. What and co- do you just playing what- in the driveway. Yeah. What color was the van? <sighs> One of them was white. Okay. One of them was probably like a, a navy color, um, and then we even saw some regular cars. Imagine just the the imagination. I mean, as we were making up. How old were you? Let's see. We didn't move up there until I was six. This is in Johnstown, correct? Yes. But the the place where my parents live to this day. Yeah. We didn't move up until I was six. So I would say this is probably like seven, eight, Mm -hmm. roughly. We would make up dances. That's why we had the notebook. We would write down dance steps. 
So do you and recall? And then we started like, noticing certain car, like do you cars. Recall roughly, how many times the van or vans came by? Um, anywhere between three to five times a day. Per day or in total? Per day. For how long do you think it was going on? Forty-eight hours. So for two straight days, these vans kept going back and forth. Yeah. And then you never saw them again. Uh-uh. Wow. Yep. That's. Yeah, I mean, it could be like somebody... Could be deliveries. Deliveries or somebody had a job. Yeah. You know, like a contracting job or something. You don't know, but it was definitely like... There's some guy out there. These girls wouldn't stop writing their notebooks. I was just minding my own business. Right? (laughs) But we we were very cautious because we had... There was a lot of reports on the news about kids disappearing. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, I I know I lived it too. Yeah. I I almost was It was the entire area. I would, yeah. I, I have to say the entire Western PA area, there well, was a lot and of it. Down into West Virginia was a big, I actually, after I was um, thinking about like last year or during COVID, yeah. uh, where I was almost abducted, I had read that there was at least three kids that were abducted in that same area in West Virginia where I was almost abducted. So I actually could draw you their faces. <laughs> That's how much I remember. But, um, but yeah, no, the. Caden's murders, uh, you know, it's one thing when you read about the satanic panic, but then to think about like it happening in your own hometown, um, and it actually not just being some weird rumor that there was actually black magic involved. Yeah. Yikes. So now we're going to move from the very serious, very upsetting. And may I start? Carrie won't let me. She nope. wants to keep being depressing. I'm not. No, this is, this is not depressing. Might I <laughs> add? It's my fault for the depressive subject. It is. Depressing subject. Matter. It is. I'm going to bring it up. God, I'm going to bring it up. Shame me. Why don't you? I'm going to bring it up. Okay. Bring it up. So when we were at college and we had a certain class where we had to meet with certain um, groups. Wow. This is descriptive. <laughs> Certain uh, class in a certain college, but to meet okay. with certain groups. Political science. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I need some kind of detail to the story. <laughs> Classes you would take, judicial studies. Okay. Got it. Even though I didn't want to be a lawyer, for some reason, I took a lot of classes. Give me that xylophone because you're really, I'm waiting for you to read poems here. All right. Real quick. And one of the groups that we were split up from because it's the same class that we had. Too much detail. Get to the point. <laughs> in my group, we actually had to do, there was one woman, older woman, who identified herself as a Wiccan. Oh, I remember her. She was very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yep. We ended up going to her apartment because she was one of the few people that had an apartment off campus at that time. Yeah. Okay. And she provided snacks and stuff, which was, I don't Where know. are you going with this, Carrie? <laughs> Anyways, she was just explaining to everybody about her lifestyle and what being Wiccan meant. I see. Okay. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. So when you talk about magic Did she and talk stuff, about people that she knew that got into dark magic? She did. Ooh. She did. And she said, I stay away from those people as much as possible, but they do exist. Wow. Remember that one time that I had looked up the... Um, People not too far from here. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. She um, she considered herself more like a um, healing. Okay. It was into crystals and stuff like that. And it was all about mm-hmm. light magic. Gotcha. So. So how about a couple of spooky okay. poems now? The Haunted Oak 
by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. How many poems are you doing, by the way? Okay, cool. Okay. Pray why you are so bare, so bare, oh, bough of the old oak tree, and why, when I go through the shade you throw, runs a shudder over me. My leaves were green as the best. I trow and sap ran free in my veins, but I saw in the moonlight, dim and weird, a guiltless victim's pains. I bent down, I bent me down to hear his sigh. I shook with his gurgling moan, and I trembled sore when they rode away and left him here alone. They charged him with the old, old crime and set him fast in jail. Oh, why does the dog howl all night long and why does the night wind well? He prayed his prayer and he swore his oath and he raised his hand to the sky. But the beat of hoofs smote on his ear and the steady tread drew nigh. Who is it rides by night, by night? over the moonlight road and what is the spur that keeps the pace what is the galling goad hmm. is that the end of that one no oh me sorry and now they beat at the prison door ho keeper do not stay we are friends of him who whom you hold within and we fain would take him away from those who ride last on our heels with mind to do him wrong they have no care for his innocence and the rope they bear is long they have fooled the jailer with lying words they have fooled the man with lies the bolts unbar the locks are drawn and the great door open flies now they have taken him from the jail and hard and fast they ride and the leader laughs low down in his throat as they halt my trunk beside. Oh, the judge, he wore a mask of black and the doctor one of white. And the minister with his oldest son was curiously bedight. Hmm. Oh, foolish man, why weep you now? Tis but a little space and the time will come when thee shall tread the memory of your face. I feel the rope against my bark and the weight of him in my grain. I feel in the throw of his final woe the touch of my own last pain. And nevermore shall leaves come forth, O oh, the bough that bears all the ban. I am burned with dread, I am dried and dead from the curse of a guiltless man. And ever the judge rides by, rides by and goes to hunt the deer, and ever another rides his soul in the guise of a mortal fear. And ever the man he rides me hard, and never a night stays he, for I feel his curse as a haunted bow on the trunk of a haunted tree. I liked that one. Yeah, I thought that was fitting. And the next one is Spellbound. Just give me a moment. It's not a long one. And it's by Emily Bronte. What's the name? Spellbound. Spellbound. Got it. Which is also the name of a wine, in case anybody's <laughs> wondering. 
Google that shit. The night is darkening round me. The wild winds coldly blow. But a tyrant spell has bound me, and I cannot, cannot go. The giant trees are bending, their bare boughs weighed with snow. And the storm is fast descending, and yet I cannot go. Clouds beyond clouds above me, waste beyond waste below. But nothing drear can move me. I will not, cannot go. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's Bronte. <laughs> well, hey guys, that does it for horror, etc. Hope we didn't spook you out too much or creep you out. Or creep you out. If you get a chance, definitely Google the Cadence Murders and um, don't dive too deeply into some of that subject matter because that's definitely not good. Definitely don't do that if it's the middle of the night and yeah. you're listening to us right now. Um, love you guys. Wait for daylight or daybreakers. Oh my gosh. Wait, that's next week. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now I get it. Yay. Case's light bulb finally getting on. <laughs> love you guys. And who's the one drinking? Ciao. Peace out.